Let's open up to uh, Amos. Happy Mother's Day as well. And uh, I know this really isn't the message for Mother's Day, but, you know, that's just the way it falls. It's the way it goes. Uh, This uh, book of Amos is just an incredible book. I've never really studied it before in depth and kind of just looking at it. And we looked last time about Amos, how he was just a sheep herder. He was a simple guy. He was a an ordinary person. He was a fig picker, but he was called by God. He was used by God, this guy Amos. And he really, in the, in the religious establishment, he was a nobody, really. He wasn't anything special. He wasn't the son of a prophet. He wasn't the son of a priest. He wasn't anybody, but yet God called him, and he was called to go. He, he was called to speak up, to warn the people, and I think there's a lot of warnings in these prophecies, and and uh, some of them for us as a nation, some of us for us as individuals, and some for the, for the uh, wider uh, the world, really. But uh, that time in, in uh, the nation of, of Judah and Israel, it really was a very, it was a time of prosperity, it was a time of peace, and yet they had forgotten God. They had... Uh, degenerated. It was a time of moral decay and idolatry. So God used Amos in this difficult period of time. His light was shining through this guy Amos. And I believe, and, and Sandy mentioned it, that God wants to shine through you and, and through me, and that there's a, there's a really a, a huge harvest field all around us. The harvest field is white unto harvest, Jesus said. It's, it's all around us. And for us to have God, open our eyes just to see what it is that, that He wants to do. And, and it does begin with prayer. Absolutely begins with prayer. Praying for souls. And, and uh, I want to see us continue to do that and, and then just see what God will do as we begin to pray. So my question to you is today, who are you praying for? Who is that one person or two people that you are praying for? Just every day, and not an hour of prayer, just a, a simple prayer. Someone uh, mentioned to me, you know, they, they picked one or two people and they, and they pray for them at their dinner table when they pray and, and when they uh, say their uh, blessing on their food, and they'll pray for those people right then. And, and that's a great time to remember to do that. So every day when you have dinner, you're going to pray for uh, that person. I think God will, will answer. I believe God will do something special if we pray. I really believe that. And thank you for sharing about prayer, Sandy. So today, we, we talked last time about Amos, the person. Today, we begin to look at his message. And, and really, I titled it uh, A Message for All because it is a message for all. Every nation, every people, every tribe, every group, every individual. The, the Bible makes it so clear in the New Testament, there's no difference it says in Romans 3, 22 and 23, there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. That's why it's a message for all, uh, a message that, that, uh, that God looks at the whole world. God looks at every nation. In, in this particular passage, he begins to speak out. In the first two chapters, he speaks against uh, these uh, nations, really eight nations he, he goes through. But let's look at verse 2 first. It says there that he said, The Lord roars from Zion. 
And he thunders from Jerusalem, and the pastures of the shepherds dry up, and the top of Carmel withers. He, he begins to say that this is, like a, this is a message that it's like coming forth from the Lord. It's not a little quiet message. He says it's roaring, but it's coming from Zion, this place where, where the Lord was speaking, God's chosen city, and, and where, where the message would come from. First, he talks about six different neighbors, let's call them, all around the nation of Judah and Israel, the two groups there. He speaks to these groups. The first six are outside Judah, outside Jerusalem, outside Israel. But then he begins to hit home. It's, it's like when, when I go through these, you'll see it's like northeast, southeast, north, uh, southwest, Northwest, I'm pointing in the wrong direction here. The first one there, look in verse 3. 3 through 5, it says, This is what the Lord says, For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. Because she threshed Gilead with sledges, having iron teeth, I will send fire upon the house of Heziel that will consume the fortresses of Ben-Hadad. I will break down the gate of Damascus. I will destroy the king who is in the valley of Avon. And the one who holds the scepter in Beth Eden, the people of Aram, will go into exile to curse, says the Lord. He begins, and in every one of these eight passages, he begins by saying, this is what the Lord said. This is what the Lord says. The first one he mentions here is Syria, which would be up in the northeast corner. And, and of every one, again, it's what God says that matters. It's not what man thinks that matters. It's what God says that matters. He says, for three sins, and he uses this for each one of them as well, for three sins, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. And the meaning, it's an idiom that means sin upon sin. It wasn't just that they only sinned for four or took four. It was just that it was like snowballing. It was like they were crossing over the line, and the Lord noticed it. And he says, I won't turn back my wrath. God, you see, God is a God of love, but God is also a God of justice. And, and he just can't ignore what was going on in those nations. You say, well, you know, what's going on in our world today? What's going on in our society? He knows. He knows what's going on in these different countries all around the world. He knows what's going on in Nigeria. He knows what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. He knows what's going on here in our country as well. He says in Romans 6.23 verses that we all know that the wages of sin is death. Their sin in this particular first one that he mentions here, Syria, their sin was cruelty. They were cruel, it says. They threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. It was a, a symbol of, of cruelty. And he said there was some judgment that was coming. He says, I'll send fire. I'll send fire upon the house. I'll consume them. Destruction on the rulers. In many of these, he mentions the rulers, the kings, those that were in charge. I think there's something to say about that, that, that rulers and those leaders uh, will be responsible, just as in the church. He says that, that those that teach will have more responsibility, more accountability. 
The second one in verses 6 through 8, he says, For this is what the Lord says, For three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. Again, he repeats the same thing. The same thing for every one of those. Because she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom, I will send fire upon the walls of Gaza that will consume her fortresses. I will destroy the king of Ashdod and the one who holds the scepter in Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron till the last of the Philistines is dead, says the sovereign Lord. That's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? But again, God sees and God knows and, and God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap, it says in the New Testament. The sin of Philistia, we see here, was a, a form of slavery. They were selling people. The judgment, again, would be fire and destruction on the rulers and the people. It talks about their fortresses there. In the first one for Syria, it talked about their gate. He says, I'm going to break down the gate of Damascus. The gate can't keep God out. Their fortresses of Philistia can't stop him. Again, this idea that human beings you know, can stand against God is, is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous, but we think we can. The third one, found in verses 9 and 10, we'll go through quickly because we're going to get through these two chapters. This is what the Lord says, For three sins of Tyre, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. Because she sold whole communities of captives to Edom, disregarding a treaty of brotherhood, and I will send fire upon the walls of Tyre that will consume her fortresses. Again, another form of slavery, but also breaking a treaty of brotherhood where they would not keep their word. The judgment of fire, their fortresses couldn't stop him either. The first one in the northeast, Philistia in the southwest, Phoenicia in the northwest now. The fourth one, verses 11 and 12, in the southeast, he says, This is what the Lord says for three sins of Edom. Even for four, I will not turn back my wrath, because he pursued his brother with a sword, stifling all compassion, because his anger raged continually. His fury, his fury flamed unchecked. I will send fire upon Teman that will consume the fortresses of Bozrah. The sin of the Edomites what he mentions here is anger and rage and fury and hatred. The judgment fire. Their fortresses couldn't stop him. The fifth one, Ammon, verses 13 through 15, he says, This is what the Lord says, For three sins of Ammon, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath, because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead. In order to extend his borders, I will set fire to the walls of Rabbah that will consume her fortresses. And amid war cries on the day of battle, amid violent winds on a stormy day, her king will go into exile. He and his officials together, says the Lord. Ammon in the east, their sin, brutality, horrible brutality, but also this greed for land. They, they, they did these things because they were greedy for land and, and the materialism that they wanted more. Their judgment, fire, and exile. You say, well, this is, this is not a very nice message for Mother's Day, is it? 
Just be patient. Their fortresses and their war cries will not help them. And number six, Amos chapter two, verses one through three, in the southeast now, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Moab, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath, because he burned as if to lime the bones of Edom's king. I will send fire upon Moab that will consume the fortresses of Kerioth. Moab will go down in great tumult amid war cries and the blast of the trumpet. I will destroy her ruler and kill all her officials with him, says the Lord. Their sin, again, cruelty. See, God sees, God knows. God knows what was going on in those places. God was aware. And God is totally aware of what's going on in our world today. His judgment, fire, and destruction, their fortresses and their war cries and their trumpets wouldn't help. All these nations now, the six that we've looked at, all of these nations in the group, again, they were all around the nation of the nations of Judah and Israel, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. They, God saw them, God knew, and God had, had a word for every one of them. But they didn't have God's word. You say, well, they didn't, they didn't know what the word of God said, so how could they be responsible? But in God's sight, they still were responsible for their actions, whether they had God's word or not. One man said this, on the basis of their violation of the law of God written on each human mind and conscience, that basic code of human behavior written in the hearts of all people and expected of all, God, God was going to hold them responsible. All have sinned, not just those that, were, that knew the word of God, not just the, those that had the Bible. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now we move to the center, though. We have this, again, this giant circle around these two nations of, of Judah and Israel. And in verses 4 to 5, he, he speaks now about Judah. He says, for this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees. Because they have been led astray by false gods, the gods their ancestors followed, I will send fire upon Judah that will consume the fortresses of Jerusalem. The message was coming forth from Jerusalem, but that did not make them exempt. Now it's, now it's in the very center. Now, now it's, it's hitting closer to home. This is again where Judah, this, Judah is where Amos came from. He's primarily going to speak up in the north of the northern kingdom, but he was from Judah. And say, well, you know, it didn't look good for his home either. Amos' own home. I would imagine, as Amos is speaking to those in the northern kingdom, that they really liked his messages up to this point. And maybe even including this point. They like the messages when, you know, all those people all around us, they are going to be judged by God. Great. They're excited about that. And then he says, well, Judah is going to be judged by God as well for what she's doing. And they might even say in the northern kingdom, that's great because they really don't know what's going on down there in Judah. Their sin, it says here, is that they rejected the law of the Lord. And also that they were involved in idolatry. 
See, no one was exempt. Their fortresses were of, of no help. There was a, the, the big problem, as I mentioned, about the, all these others that surrounded them, was they did not have the word of God. But the big problem for Judah and for Israel is that they did have the word of God. They knew better. They, they faced, yet, even though they knew better, they, they faced the same judgment as the others. In fact, Warren Wiersbe says that theirs was the greater sin. For greater privilege always brings greater responsibility to whom much is given, much is required. You say, well, don't, don't we get a pass because Jerusalem is here. We're, we're, we're at all, we're, where it's all at, Jerusalem. He said, don't we get the pass? No. Amos had to even speak against his very own hometown, his home people. The last of the eight now, look at verse 6 through 8. For this is what the Lord says, For three sons of Israel, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. They sell the righteous for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as upon the dust of the ground, and they deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl, and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. Lastly, Israel. Perhaps these people that he was speaking to up in the northern kingdom, they thought that it was all the other. It was, it was everybody else. And isn't that always, it's always the other guy that's done the bad. They thought they were better. Maybe they thought that they were holier than thou kind of attitude, which is something that we all need to be very careful of, that, that this message is for all, that all of us will stand before God, that all of us need to pay attention. And the truth is, is that it always ends up at home. It always ends up right here in my neighborhood. It always ends up really right here in my heart with me. Their sin, we see, was slavery and greed and injustice and immorality and idolatry. Despite everything God had done for them. Look at verses 9 through 11. It says, The Lord says, I brought you up out of Egypt and I led you 40 years in the desert. To give you the land of the Amorites, I also raised up prophets from among your sons and Nazarites from among your young men. Is this not true, people of Israel, declares the Lord. God had provided for them. God had led them. God had given them his word from the prophets. God had even raised up this group called the Nazarites who were, who were people who were dedicated to God and they were like an example to follow. They had it all. Again, it was a time of prosperity, a time of peace, a time of success. But they rejected it all. Look at verses 12. It says, But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets, the prophets not to prophesy. The Nazarites, one of the things that they would, they made this vow that they would never drink wine. Anything to do with, with uh, uh, wine. And it says they made the Nazarites drink wine. They forced them to break their vow. And then they commanded the prophets not to prophesy. In other words, we don't want to hear what you have to say, God. We don't want to hear. The judgment that came, verses 13 through 16, 
Now then, I will crush you. As a cart crushes when loaded with grain, the swift will not escape, the strong will not muster their strength, and the warrior will not save his life, the archer will not stand his ground, the fleet-footed soldier will not get away, and the horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will flee naked on that day, declares the Lord. Wow. God's chosen people, the nation of Judah and Israel, of course, he's speaking here about Uh, When he led them out of Egypt, they were one nation. But he says here that, you know what, your speed, your strength, your fighting skills, all this are not going to help you. They faced a, a day of reckoning, and sure enough, it came upon them less than 50 years later. There's no way to fight against God. There's no wisdom, the Proverbs say. There's no insight. There's no plan that can succeed against the Lord. I want to uh, have you turn back with me to Isaiah for a, for a moment. We'll, we'll finish with some prophets over there in Isaiah chapter, uh, first Isaiah chapter 3, and then Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 3, starting in verses 8 and 9, Jerusalem staggers, Judah is falling. Their words and deeds are against the Lord, defying His glorious presence. The look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. Does that sound familiar to you? How about Isaiah 59? Turn there, if you will, please. Isaiah 59, verses 12 and 13. For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities, rebellion, and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, fomenting oppression and revolt, uttering lies. Our hearts have conceived. I think... I don't know about you, but as I read these words and as I think about these different nations that God was dealing with, I can't help but think about our own nation, our own country. We have it all. Say, well, yeah, we've been through a recession and all that, but we have it all. And we have, uh, you know, the the greatest country on earth in in many, many ways. And we have an incredible, uh, you know, fighting ability. We have, we have so many things, so much. God has blessed our country, I believe. But when I think about what happened with the nation of Judah and when the nation of Israel, how they rejected the word of God and they, and they went further and further away from him. They thought that, that they could stand against him. They thought that they could do their own thing, but there is, as I said, no way to fight against God. So, so when you look at all of this and you think about it, well, is there any hope? Is, is all lost? Is it, is it just the end for us? I want to tell you today that there is hope. And I want, I want you to look at Jeremiah chapter 3 because he kind of points it out. Just turn to the next book ahead there. Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. 
He said, go proclaim this message toward the north. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord, and I will frown on you no longer. For I am merciful, declares the Lord, and I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favors to foreign gods under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Is there any hope? Yes, there is. But the hope is in returning to the Lord and coming to Him. This is, this is what we need as a people. This is what we need as a country. Can it ever change? I look at it sometimes and I think it'll never change. We're going so far down this road. And, and how much can the Lord take? How much will He put up with? But there's always hope while we're, while we're still here to return, to, to turn our hearts towards God. But you know what? It begins, it begins right here with you and with me. It always begins right at home, right in the center. It's not those people out there. That's what we see with this big circle around Judah and Jerusalem and Judah and Israel. It's always the people out there, but, but God has a way of bringing it right in so that the center of the bullseye, the target, is right here in my heart, in me. I've been uh, thinking about uh, John 3.16 and, and really... In, in, I want to. I want to end there because because really this is this is where it all comes to. We see the the nations. God, you know, has has spoken against all these nations, and application can be made to all the nations of our world today. But but we also see in John three sixteen that that God so loved the world. God so loved. Yeah, he's a God of judgment, and, and, and sin is real, and judgment is real, but, but the grace of God through Jesus is also real, and it, and it is our answer. It's really our only answer, and that's what the message for all is, that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we've also, that God so loved the world that he sent his Son, I was thinking about that, and I never kind of picked up on this before that I can remember anyways, is the word so in the middle of that verse. We just kind of read it because we know the verse and everything, but it says, God so loved the world. And He so loves you, and He so loves me, that He sent His Son. His judgment requires these things that we've talked about here, fire. But He sent His Son to take the judgment upon Himself so that you and I would not have to. He so loved the world and He so wanted to send the answer and He sent His only Son, His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but but have everlasting life. That's the answer. That's the message for all. I took this so one step further. It's God so loved the world, so what do you and I have to do? We have to believe and trust in Him and, and surrender our hearts to Him. That's the message. That's the answer, yeah. We, we can't just take these things out of the Bible and, and, and you know, well, I'm only going to look at this part here, here, but, you know, it's all a whole. And that when we turn away, we will reap what we sow, but the answer is always found again in Jesus who came for you and for me. Let's pray together, shall we?